Oh, Your No, presented by Kelly's Green, located right here in Central Mississippi, premier locally owned and operated medical marijuana company. Uh, I am Clay Edwards, and we are going to pass the mic here off to your host, Miss Kelly Williams. So here we go. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that was a rocky transition. <laughs> um, Smooth as butter. <laughs> yeah. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Um, good morning. Thank you for being with us and uh, for Grow Your Note, your uh, one-stop shop for uh, everything educational information on uh, medical marijuana in Mississippi and beyond. Uh, we have a great show today. Um, we've got... Uh, a special guest that uh, I'll introduce in a minute and, and let you tell him uh, a little bit about himself. But we're super excited about the show today. Um, we have got Chad King with us, of course. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy you could be with us. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a great show. Yeah. Um, we get to talk about some things that are near and dear to our heart, I know. Um, and uh, yeah, so super exciting. Um, we've got with us today, our special guest today is Andre Degree. And is it degree or degree? I always worry that I'm missing it. Degree, degree, degree. degree. So like the deodorant. <laughs> is that what you were going to say? Or the temperature? Oh, okay. <laughs> S- same thing. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> so it's it's uh, so it's degree. I'm kidding. It's, it's degree. <laughs> so it's degree. Andre degree. He is the Mississippi State Public Defender, and um, he is fabulous. Chad and I have both had the uh, the privilege and the pleasure of working with or for however you want to look at it. I'm not sure. I guess we'll let. <laughs> Andre categorized that, but in any, in any event, we've had the opportunity to work with um, with Andre and uh, in parent defense, and uh, specifically with um, related to marijuana in the past. And, and actually, in my practice, it was um, probably some of the most meaningful work that um, I did uh, before I closed up my practice and became uh, founder CEO of, of uh, Kelly's Green. Um, and uh, it, it really was meaningful in my life and in my profession, and so I was super, super happy to have had the opportunity to work with Andre. So, um, Andre, if you'll just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and um, what you do. Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm the state public defender. I've been the state public defender since 2016. I'll get back to that important year in a minute. Uh, <laughs> my, my background is in criminal defense. I did death penalty work most of my career. Uh, defending people facing the death penalty. Um, and I've always done indigent defense, uh, either in, in privately in a nonprofit or in public defender offices. Um, it was appointed by the governor to start the first, the capital defense office, and then uh, eventually those offices merged. And all we ever did, and, and what we were trying to do at, and still trying to do at Cap, at the public defender is to expand the representation for poor people in criminal cases. Um, and in 2016, as I was preparing to to take over a state defender, someone had the bright idea to uh, to put parent to what they called parent representation at the time. There were parents in the child welfare system had no right to counsel, and so it was only the benevolence of the judge that would would get them a lawyer, and uh, most people didn't have lawyers, and they were some losing kids, uh, mm-hmm. having families destroyed with with no legal representation. So the, the family's being destroyed by the court, not by circumstances of their life. And, uh, and so 
they asked me uh, as the chief policy person then, I guess, and now too, you know, what I thought about taking this on. And I, I said, this is the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> uh, why, why would criminal defense be, you know, we're not even funding that properly. Why are we going to take this on? And, uh, and then some uh, others prevailed upon me and explained things to me. And, and I started, you know, looking at my own family, I was like, you know, there were times I would want somebody to come take my kids. And, <laughs> and if you talk to my kids, they'd probably say the same thing. But uh, uh, I thought, you know, before the government comes in, and it was an interesting conversation with Phil Bryan mm-hmm. when, uh, when we talked about this. And, and he said, getting ready to appoint me as state defender. And he said, you know, if somebody was came, came to my house and wanted to take my kids, um, I would want, and I thought he was going to say my gun, but he didn't. He, <laughs> right. said, he said a lawyer. And and so uh, I, I took this on also, and, you know, and that's where I met you guys. Yeah. They were already doing it in Hines County, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a lot of criticism of Hines County, but it turned out the pilot project there really brought us some things that uh, – that we're going to be able to roll out statewide as we grow this program. Right. Yeah. So, I will, yeah. I'm going to give us a pat on the back. Um, yeah. Chad and I handled Hines County. Right. And uh, we were the first parent defenders there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that first or second year, I uh, I want to say that we reduced the re- safely. That's right. Reduced the um, removal foster care population in Hines County mm-hmm. by about 30 percent. That's right. 30 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and I think it's interesting because I think people are still like learning, I think, a lot of times about how like CPS and youth court works. And so everyone always has this idea that, oh, if CPS got called, these parents are bad parents, you know, because that's just what you think. But, you know, just like you just said, what we see is that like over like maybe 90 percent now of all the cases that come through youth court are poverty related. It's all circumstances dealing with indigency and things like that. socioeconomic issues. And so it's not it's not the horrific child abuse, sexual abuse cases that you think of. The majority of them are people that can't keep their lights on or can't, you know, keep food in their fridge that that just need some help. Um, Right. Which which is so important because what our goal is in youth court is to try to get them, you know, the resources that weren't embezzled to those families to help them. Um, and so that's what, you know, that's why it's just so important that people learn more about youth court. And then we have sort of a spotlight on it. And it's great because having representation in the court changes everything. I mean, it becomes a true um, advocacy system and, and you want you want that. So. Absolutely. Kudos to you, Andre. Yes, absolutely. For that. So we never answered the question, did you work for me, did you work with me, uh, or did y'all do work and I got credit for it? it? Whichever way it was, I think it worked out well. It worked out great, yes. Yeah. No, it, it was. It was very meaningful, especially for me and Kelly, because we talk about this all the time. You know, that sort of laid that foundation for where we are today with the medical marijuana program, because we did see so many children getting removed just because because a parent tested positive for marijuana and you would think, wait a minute. I mean, they're not bad parents. They just use some weed. Like, like this is ridiculous that we're going to take a child and put them in foster care for sometimes years. And, and, and that is not an exaggeration. Um, that is a very, that was very much reality, um, in lots of counties. Um, and so that really did sort of push us in this direction Absolutely. of all things marijuana. Of all and things so, marijuana. That's so, right. that that we are, so we have had um, 
we've had a couple of shows now, Andre, and we've talked a lot about um, guns. That's always the first question we get is, can I have a gun if I have a medical marijuana card? So um, I love that you talked to Phil, and the first thing he did not say was a gun. That means he may need a medical marijuana card if he doesn't <laughs> care about guns. No, good. Um, no. <laughs> no, uh, Thank you, Chad, for setting us back. You're welcome. Shows. You're welcome. <laughs> so the other thing was is we have not touched on the criminal side of it. And right. so it's interesting that this law deals with changing certain laws, but like the major one it changed was just possession. So, you know, you're allowed in this state now, if you have a valid medical marijuana card, to have 28 MMCEUs in your possession. And so at MMCEU, one is like equivalent of an eighth or three and a half grams of flour. And so when I talked to the sheriff's department uh, about marijuana, uh, they were like, oh, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to pull people over? You know, and I was like, well, you, it's the same. Like, DUIs did not change. Right. <laughs> like, like nothing in, else has right. changed. Impairment is impairment. Correct. Right? That's and, right. And it's really, if you would do the analogy, what the changes that really y'all brought in the, uh, in the child welfare area, where if the person is getting stoned and not taking care of their kid, Correct. you can take the child away from them. Yeah. For not taking care That's of right. the kid. That's right. And so if you're weaving down the road. Correct. Then stop them. Right. That's but, right. And whether that's alcohol, whether that's marijuana, whether it's heroin, whether it's cough medicine, whether it's. Wagobi. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure what that is. but <laughs> Some new weight loss drug. I hear about it all the time. Okay. <laughs> or uh, Ozempic or whatever. Or the, Everybody's talking you know, about the that. Opioids. <laughs> what, whatever it is, impairment is impairment. And I, don't, I still don't know what you're talking about. But okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, but, but so, yeah, I think that's important um, to make. I, I think it's important that we – it's like the gun issue, that we continually revisit that because I understand why law enforcement would have concerns, would they have questions. But the truth is, is it's, it is still very, very – as clear as it ever was. Impairment is impairment. Right. And just like I can't drive and I shouldn't be driving impaired, it's illegal for me to drive impaired if I'm on some painkiller that impairs right. my ability to drive. It's the same thing. Um, and I think that's an important point to continue right. to hit home. And, and exactly what Andre just said. So, again, everybody used to be like, oh, so you are just advocating for drug addicts to have their kids. And it's like, no, but you got to show me more. There has to be a causal connection between, oh, they tested positive for marijuana, so they're not feeding their kids or they're not getting them to school on time or they're whatever. you got to show some causal connection of neglect. Yeah, It can't just be, right. oh, well, they failed a drug test, right. so they're horrible parents. That's right. So if you've got someone who um, who, ha- who is sitting at home using drugs, and, and I don't care what drug it is, using drugs, and because of that drug use, is hasn't fed their kids, hasn't made sure that their kids are clean and addressed appropriately, has not met their, kid, their child's educational needs, mm-hmm. their child's medical needs, um, their child's spiritual needs, if, if that's important to you. But all of these things that you, you do for your children on a daily basis, if someone's drug use regardless of what drug it is, mm-hmm. including alcohol. And, and as far as I'm concerned, we all know that I think alcohol is the devil. But let's just – I digress. Okay, so <laughs> um, if you're using an, a substance and it is – that substance, that use of that substance is causing you not to be able to care for your child, that's neglect. And there's an evidence – there's evidence of that and there's a causal connection of that. Right. But if you have someone who is using a, a – I have a cold and I cough and I'm using cough medicine as prescribed, but it doesn't affect my ability to parent my child. Or I have 
a medical marijuana card and I'm, I'm using medical marijuana and it's not impacting my ability to care for my child or I'm using whatever um, and it's not impacting my ability to care for my child. It, then there is no neglect. Right. There is no there is no basis for removal. There's, uh, and I would even dare say when we talk about addiction, you know, there I know functioning addicts. They, mm-hmm. they they are addicted to substances, but they still care for their right. children. I mean, there still has to be a causal connection somewhere. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Um. And and so I think that you know we're we're going to take a break, but but when we come back, we wanted to sort of sort of go down maybe the the criminal road of that and what's happening with um, sort of the changes of the law and, and things like that with the public defender's office. Um, and so, <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to take a break for a minute and then um, we're going to come right back. And we're back. Um, happy Tuesday. This is grow your note with Chad King and Kelly Williams and our special guest today, Andre degree, the degree. De- <laughs> <laughs> Andre Degree. I'm kidding. It's Andre Degree, uh, the Mississippi State Public Defender, and um, we're excited to have him with us today. And we're having a great conversation about lots of things, um, marijuana, medical marijuana. So I wanted to go back and just mention uh, the. So there's a great book, and I, I think I read it back in. Uh, I think it, it came out in 2015. I read it. I think in two, 2017, perhaps. Um, it's Chasing the Scream. It's uh, authored by Johan. I think it's Johan Hari. I'm sure I'm. Um, no, I think you got that name right. You can't get, <laughs> you got that name right. It is Andre. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> Andrew. Andre? No, We're here with Andrew DeGruy. Um <laughs> No, it is a great book, though. It is a, it, it, it's a phenomenal book. It's a phenomenal book. book. Um, and, and, uh, so, and interestingly enough, like everything else in life, you know, I th- we had some, co- we were talking earlier about how it's so hard to make change when, um, in, in some of the parent defense stuff that we were talking about. Um, and I think one of those reasons is that human beings are, in many ways, sh- with their value systems and their thoughts, their belief systems are, in, in obviously, come down culturally and in their homes and educationally, but but uh, also by life experience. And so what I think is interesting about Johan Hari is um, I think what began his journey of exploring addiction and the causes and the consequences and the approaches and, and how different places in the world handle it was he himself, I think, found a relative um, who was unresponsive uh, and was uh, an addict. And so I, I think um, when you go back to who we are, very core of human beings, that um, when something impacts you personally like that, when you can relate to it personally, it, it all of a sudden uh, moves up in your list of priorities, uh, which is obvious. you know, Right, yeah. yeah. Which would be. But he, he poses some great questions in the book. And one of the things that I think was so great, one of the great, the best questions he asked, which I think is responsible in, in a lot of ways for why people are so resistant to change or maybe change their thinking or even just contemplate a different approach, a different set of facts. And Because he asks, what if everything you think you know about addiction is wrong? And I think that's I think it's so important for people to ask themselves that question because I know when I when I first started um, in the world of parent defense and then and, and even when I read the book and, and I had been practicing for a, a long time at that point which for several years you know ten or eleven twelve years at mm-hmm. that point so when I contemplated that question I thought you know that is a great 
question because even I, at that point, who was really open to thinking about drug addiction in a different way, um, thought, holy cow, nobody wants to be wrong. You know, nobody wants to think, oh, my gosh, I've been wrong my entire life. about." um, And in fact, this war on drugs, which has been a colossal failure, Mm -hmm. um, that the war on drugs has actually done more harm than good. Sure. That we took the wrong approach. And that's a hard pill to swallow since we've been doing it for however many years now. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but I think it's such an important thing to discuss. And it, and I am not advocating, I'm not saying we should, everybody should use drugs and we forget it. I'm not saying drugs are harmless. I am saying suggesting that perhaps the war on drugs has been more harmful than drugs themselves, right. uh, at least on a larger scale. Right, and, and the fact is everyone does drugs. And so then you get into this blanket, okay, these drugs are okay, these drugs are not. And right. so, you know, some of those are easy to tell My which ones. didn't do any. She didn't do any. <laughs> not even an Advil. No. Um, <laughs> she didn't even drink tea. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Nothing. Yeah, well. Not even caffeine. No caffeine. Okay. No caffeine. Wow. Well, you know, like, so so that's sort of what you get. And I love about the book is that they give such a historical context of how all of that sort of came into play and why. Um, right. And I think that's just so important. But sometimes I think if we can find something that everyone could somewhat be like, this is wrong. Like, they feel like it brings everybody together. You know, like, right. in the you 20s, it was alcohol That's and right. jazz. You know what That's I mean? Right. Like, like, yeah. like it's like, let's all hate the same thing. Right. You know, and and so I think a lot of that is sort of, again, what we found in our law practice, what we found with dealing with judges, what we found now with just with people in the public is trying to sort of pierce those decades of misinformation right. and provide some accurate stuff and let's say well let's let's talk about why (laughs) you know like why you feel this way or or whatever right i think that the important parts of any discussion um are are education and honesty Mm -hmm. like you know can we just be honest about what's happening and then can we try to learn from it um i think and i think the book does a great job and he he does it in such an i mean i think i think it goes without saying because he wrote the book, I would I would think that I haven't ever talked to him. So that's my disclaimer. I don't know, but I I you know I, I would say that he's in favor of a different approach. Right. Um. But I think one of the great things about it was he did take an objective approach. So he didn't go into this saying this is everybody's been wrong all this time and this is a better way. He really did take an honest look. Um, at the history, mm-hmm. which I thought was a great history, because if you if you have right. if, you, if you don't read anything else in the book, read the first half of the history, um, because it's accurate and it's been fact checked, and right. it's um, it's it's really interesting if you don't know how the war on drugs started and how it continued. Um, so if you don't if you have nothing else, you know, read the first half. The second half is stories um, that he went into people's lives and followed their stories to see how drug addiction had impacted their lives. And they're all different. Um, and so, uh, I think it's a, it's a great way to begin perhaps thinking about drug addiction in a different way. And I think one of the things we see in the book and one of the things that we know from, um, tons of studies, I know, and I, 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 I had one in my head earlier this morning and it, it escapes me now, but we know that marijuana use in particular, since we're talking about medical marijuana in Mississippi, we know that medical, we know that marijuana use is the same across all, all, all lines. So as far as, uh, you know, the, the socioeconomic status, race, gender, 
all of these things, we know that marijuana use, mm-hmm. according to studies, credible studies and statistics, st- st- gosh, I can't say that statistics. word. Statistics. <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> right, yeah. You uh, can just say degree. Okay. <laughs> okay. Data. Data. <laughs> to a certain degree. Right. <laughs> so to a certain degree. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, but we know that those, that the use is equal. Um, but they are the but the consequences are not. We look Correct. at our prison system and we know that is not the case. And if you look at state and federal in particular, um, I think that I, I read a, a, an article, I think it was in the Washington Post, maybe. Anyway, they, they were they looked at the Federal Sentencing Commission um, data <laughs> right, <laughs> and uh found that I think at any given point, um, this sounded low to me, but perhaps you guys can, at at any given point uh, in time, there's at least, well, I guess at at least is not, at least 40,000 people incarcerated for marijuana possession uh, in this country. Um, Now, do we have a high prison population in Mississippi? We we have the highest prison population, and we have a really high drug population. Now we don't have it. It's not marijuana is not the dominant uh, drug that people are going to prison for, mm-hmm. uh, at least directly. But but you know again we when you get into being revoked for uh, using drugs, it's usually marijuana. Mm-hmm. So you you initially you've got a nonviolent crime, you get probation. You're going to end up cycling back through jail because you've got a positive drug screen, and that's usually marijuana. So it, yeah. it doesn't; it, it's secondary to uh, to why people are going to prison. And and I, that's an interesting point too. I think what we had um, I'll have to look up the case name. You know, I think it was what two twenty one. We had um, a case that went to the Mississippi Supreme Court. It was a life sentence had been challenged. Um, there was an individual who uh, was sentenced as a habitual offender, and it was mm-hmm. the third uh, the third one. It was a marijuana possession, I believe. Yeah, Tamika right. Drummer. Yeah. yeah. She's doing life for uh, a felony level, so just a little more than an ounce of marijuana was in the car with her. Um, and that was... Oh gosh. Okay, so and that was a third offense. Was that challenged on the Eighth Amendment, or do y'all recall? I, uh, I just... It was they, they did raise an Eighth Amendment issue, um, and it's just uh, we actually came close to getting some a good uh, disparity bill in the legislature this year, but it was mm-hmm. attached to a bad bill, so yeah, it needed to die. But um, it's really hard. The proportionality look is is not uh, it's not very helpful in in Eighth Amendment challenges. So, um, so she's still, she's still serving that life sentence. Um, you know, and her prior is man, the prior violent crime is manslaughter, Uh. which is, she was a a decade or more out from that manslaughter conviction. Uh, but, but manslaughter, the result is a death. Right. But it's not the intent. The intent is not right. And so it it really, in a lot of, a lot of ways, it's not a, it's, it's a, Reckless, uh, grossly re- reckless, sure. uh, even to a criminal level, but it's not intentional killing. That's right. So, so she really there's there's an argument of whether or not her crime is even uh, her prior is even a violent crime. Right. Okay. And so she is she is currently she is still still serving, still serving, serving a life without parole sentence for and what she was sentenced for was a little over an ounce of marijuana. 
Wow. Yep. And we've got one other uh, case that was, I think, in 2021 that we'll we'll talk about when we come back. Um, I think we're going to take a break now, so we'll be right back. This is Grow Your Know. And we're back at uh, Grow Your Know with uh, Chad King and Kelly Williams and our special guest today, Andre Degree. Look at there. Yeah. Look at there. If you've been with us, you know that I've mastered that now. So, <laughs> um, so we are talking about a ton of things today. Uh, we're really talking about, um, we're digging into some of the criminal. Uh, it's really civil and criminal when you talk about the consequences, the socio, really and truly it's a socioeconomic um, issue that accompanies marijuana, whether it's in the civil realm, like some of the things we've been talking about with the parent and the family uh parent defender work that Chad and I and Andre have done, or you're talking about the criminal aspect of uh, marijuana, which is is such an interesting, um, number one, it's a super sad issue, but beyond just the the sadness of it, it's interesting because Mississippi was the 38th state to legalize uh, some sort of cannabis program. Ours is a medical program, um, but we know that we were number 38, and so that means that over half of the country... Uh, well over half of the country um, believes that, uh, you know, is invested in a value system and a belief system that there is um, purpose behind marijuana, right. a valuable purpose to human to humanity. And so when you compare that to the rates of incarceration in criminal prosecutions that are still out there for possession of marijuana, it really is striking. Right. Um, uh, it really is striking when you look at it in those terms. And I will say, I think ours was so important, too, because what we saw is that 74% of the voters, meaning the people, mm-hmm. wanted medical marijuana. Right. So, so you know, what, it, what it's always shown to me is that the people were ready for something that their representation was not and continued to say, oh, we don't want that in our state. They were just 100% wrong. Right. The, the, the people had outgrown that representation and sort of that old school way of thinking. And I think as we continue down the road with now people coming online, dispensaries online, products, cards coming online online will see that maybe it's not the devil they thought it was i right. think right. and i think that's important because then when we get into the criminal side of it you know we do see people that have these habitual offenses and serving a life sentence it's, it's just insane to me it you is. know it is. um that, that that we would um first of all it's expensive <laughs> right so we're the poorest state in in the country and then we have a the highest incarceration rate. And it's like, who do you think's paying for that? <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you lock the people up for doing drugs and I don't want to shock anybody, but you can get a lot of drugs in, in jail and prison. So, oh my gosh. So, no. They have a grow facility at Parkland? <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're absolutely, you're hundred percent right. And so again, and it doesn't stop and it doesn't stop, you know, like, Prisoners have cell phones now, like they have Facebook accounts and videos. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, it really is sort of like, what are we accomplishing, I guess? Right. Um, right. In, in, in that sense. And, sure. and I think it's, um, I think sometimes, though, don't you feel like it's just so overwhelming that, like, if you don't know the first step to take, it's just, like, easier to not take a step at all? Certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I think a lot of people and, you know, and, and, talking to people that work in in the criminal legal system and they're like you know because i'm out there saying you know we we need to legalize drugs and we need to treat it as a public health issue we we need to just 
get that whole aspect out of our criminal system. And, um, you know, when, when the first time they put the medical marijuana petition in front of me, I was like, I don't want medical marijuana. I, I want legalization at least and and then or at least decriminalization so right you know it's it's in a lot of ways worse than prohibition what we do because we're locking up the guy who's you know the addict we're not locking up the the guy profiting from it correct prohibition so um i i you know people smarter than me said you know we've got we have to educate yes we have to we have to take a first step and, you know, the, the parallels of what I saw with the medical marijuana and the referendum in, you know, it, the legislature had to act. Right. Even though it wasn't the referendum that put it in place, the legislature had to act because of the referendum and look to a state like Oklahoma that didn't go, didn't even go to decriminalization, went to reclassification of most right. drugs. So mm-hmm. small user amounts of drugs in Oklahoma or or misdemeanors, not felonies. Mm-hmm. So there's no risk of going right. to the penitentiary for it. Um, and so, and, and most misdemeanors are dealt with without jail through some type of probation or something. So um, it, it's, it just, how it got to the law in Oklahoma was a referendum. Right. Was, and so they passed a referendum to do two things, to reclassify and then to use the savings from the prison system to to do drug treatment. Right. So, you know, not which 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 is smart. It I mean, coming out of, <laughs> gosh, it's coming out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> Are we surprised? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that so, sounds like shock. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. I mean, like that is so smart because it's like we're not really we're not accomplishing anything without looking at the whole picture, I think. And and I think a lot of people are like they have this idea of, oh, well, you know, they've been to jail. They're a bad person and they shouldn't, you know, whatever. And I've had a lot of um, a lot of clients that and a lot of people that I've known that were stupid when they were 18 and had something like Sudafed in the car. And then they got this like crazy felony that they were, you know, uh, manufacturing meth and all that right. stuff. And, you know, normally it's not just one felony that they, they'll slap you with, too, like intent to distribute and then also possession or whatever, whatever. And, I mean, it really does affect their lives for the rest of their lives. You know, they can't have a gun. They can't vote. And, you know, this may have been like one of my friends that's almost 50. This was when he was 18. And, you know, it it was one that you can't even expunge. And, like, his life has been affected the rest of his life because of one stupid mistake. Right. Um, and, again, you know, it's just – it's like if we all classify them in one bunch, it doesn't really help anybody get a clean start or starting over or whatever. It really is – some of the laws they need to be looked at, I think. And I know that there's a big reform that needs to happen. Right. Um, and it, it can feel overwhelming. Yeah. And but. we had another case in, that went up to the Mississippi Supreme Court. I, I think it was in 21. Um, it was uh, it was a, a, a man who was um, at the trial court level was sentenced to life in prison. And I think he was found convicted of possessing 43.71 grams of marijuana. And uh, so then um, – and he was sentenced to life. Now – um, and, and that went up to our Supreme Court. I think it was after the case that we were talking, yes, Tamika's case right. that we were talking about just a moment ago. 
And in this case, um, I think they made a, a smart argument. It, they based it on a United States Supreme Court case that said that, hey, this is a this is a violation of the Eighth Amendment. Um, and uh, and ultimately that that argument failed. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. That argument failed. I think our Supreme Court distinguished um, this particular case. And it uh, was uh, Russell. Alan Russell, I believe, was his name. And um, they distinguished Russell's case from the case that the uh, defense used, saying that um, the case that they relied on dealt with nonviolent, um, a nonviolent, a history of nonviolent um, crimes, and that that uh, Russell's um, was distinctly different because it, it dealt with um, violent crimes. Now, now we talk obviously the habitual offender statute comes into play here yeah. big time. Um, but I still think it's important that, you know, we've got somebody who who literally is is doing life for possessing marijuana. But for the fact that he was convicted of possessing marijuana, he would not be doing life in prison. Right. And so I think when you look at it in those terms, that's huge. Even though we're talking about the habitual offender statute, um, it's certainly that's not a reasonable application of that, right. in my in my opinion. So, so what it means what in, in our office handled Allen's case. We had a uh, the the National Cannabis Bar did an amicus brief, and they actually took the case uh, to the Supreme Court on cert, um, and and cert wasn't granted, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't mean anything except that they get a thousand cases and right. You talking about right? the U.S. Supreme the U.S. Court? Supreme Court? Okay, yeah. Um, but the so what the what the habitual law means is that the person's been convicted of two prior crimes. They could have, they had to occur at different times, but they could have been convicted together mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually done their sentence together. And they, if one of those is a violent crime, they they serve their sentence. They, they pay their debt on that crime. And then sometime in the future, because they had these two priors, then they get charged as the habitual offender. So the, the three-strike law. Um, but, you know, we really do need to look at what that third offense is. Right. If if marijuana had been reclassified like it was in Oklahoma, it would have been a misdemeanor. So right. he would have had to do his time, time on that misdemeanor, but it would not have, Triggered. It have been a right. long sentence. Right. So just a, a state line makes yeah. the difference between That's right. do life in prison or six months. Or six months. Wow. Man, that's huge. And so those <laughs> those prior two, you could have already done your sentence, completed yep. everything, like like paid your debt to society right. or whatever right. on those, and it doesn't matter. You're so, I mean, right. and again, I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, we see a lot of habitual offenders, I think, because we lack the resources to help people that do their time and get out of prison and find a job or find a whatever. Or, 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 I mean, like, we don't put the resources where they matter. And so a lot of people go back to what they know. Right. And so it's like, you know, why, why, why wouldn't you? And I think it doesn't, you know, take a rocket scientist to see that that's how they get in this trap and that we could certainly help uh, rehabilitate, although I don't like that word, but, you know, sure. help them with those resources. Yeah. And I, I think, too, you know, I, first of all, I know people, there are some people out there who be like, oh, this, this, these marijuana advocates just advocate for, you know, <laughs> let everybody out of the prisons. That's not true. No. I, I am a mother. I have a daughter. I'm a wife. 
I'm a grandmother. grandmother. <laughs> um, my grandbaby turns one this week. And uh, so I, I have a family and friends that I care about. And right. I don't want people who should be locked up for violent crimes. I'm not advocating that those people shouldn't, right. shouldn't, should be out on the street. What I'm saying is that if we're going to have a habitual offender statute, then it, it has to be, there has to be an exception in there to allow judges to apply it in a reasonable manner. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That's right. And, and, and we have to, we have to stop. Um, everything should be a case by case basis. A hundred As much as it can. It, it can't just be, uh, you know, oh, they're on the bad side. So lock them up. And then right. again, that, that's what you see a lot. Um, or the whole, you know, been there, done that, seen that, whatever. No, you have it, right. you know, and I think that's a that's a hard thing to do sometimes for judges and courts is to feel like, oh, I've seen this a million times. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, whatever and not get to the root of it. No um, one should be doing life sentence for marijuana. No, no, one. no, not at all. I mean, we don't even have people doing a life sentence for DUIs. Right. And we know what, <laughs> we, we know. We know there's no question yeah, about what the, the, yeah. the problems that alcohol causes. And we also know that. Um, you know, I, I, everybody's like, I know ducking down, but I know professionals, I know people all across the, the board, whether it, it make all sorts of, uh, whether you don't make a whole lot, whether you make a ton, whether you're a professional, whether you're not professional that use marijuana. I know everybody's like, don't call what? me out. But the point is, I know, believe it or not. <laughs> So, well, we right. didn't bring marijuana to Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> it's been here. Right. So, yeah. All right. We got to okay. take a break. We'll be. And we're back. Uh, welcome back to Grow Your Know. This is our uh, last segment. We're going to wrap it up. Um, I'm Kelly Williams, and I'm here with Chad King and Andre Degree. Yep, mm-hmm. I said that, Andre Degree. <clears throat> I've mastered it now. Yes, you have. Um, I want to thank Andre for being yes. here so much. We've had a great show. We uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate and we've enjoyed you being here today. I, so. I've enjoyed being here. Oh, good. Good. And I want to tell everybody listening, so if you go to your website, ospd.ms.gov, y'all have tons of resources that are there to help, whether they're a parent that finds themselves in youth court, whether they want a parent defender or a public defender, y'all have got all kinds of articles. Yep, we have a, the parent defense program is growing. We have a full-time person, and we're getting ready to bring in a social worker to help us develop uh, an interdisciplinary team defense around the state. So, um, good things. Yeah. Good things there. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, lots of stuff on the website. Um, if you have questions about um, anything CPS related or youth court or criminal, um, just a really, really great website. Yep. So. And uh, then we've got uh, information. Um, if you are a patient and you need information, you can always go to uh, M- uh, MCPA, Mississippi Patients Alliance. Is that right? No, <laughs> Mississippi Cannabis Patients Alliance. I'm sorry. Yeah, Mississippi yes. Cannabis Patients Alliance. If you're a patient and you need help with that, of course, if you want information about uh, anything else medical marijuana related, you can visit uh, org. That is our That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so um, just as we were talking earlier, I just wanted to say real quick, you know, people are like, oh, well, they're drug addicts. I could never be drug addicts. There's this great saying that I want to leave everybody with. And it says, I'm a human being. Therefore, nothing human can be alien to me. I love that. 